0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with the 1984 World Series champion, Daryl Evans. All right, let's get this started. And now, here's Here's your host, Brett
1: Boone. Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with a 1984 World Series champion. He led the AL in home runs in 1985, and he hit 414 during his big league career. Ladies and gentlemen, Daryl Evans. Daryl, thanks for coming on the
2: program. Hey, Brett, looking forward to it, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Talk to baseball, fun stuff. Yes, sir. Bill J-
1: Bill James, famous historian, statistician, says analytically, Daryl Evans is the most underrated baseball player of all time. What do you take
2: from that? (laughs) Well, that's what I kind of, when I first heard about it and saw it and stuff, I never thought about it that way. But, you know, now that I get it and it's like, uh, you know, I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I'd be good in everything. And, uh, you know, they were coming up and playing with Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews is my idol and, and all those guys, Klee Boarder and everything, you know, they, they always told me, you know, you're going to, you're going to, uh, set your own level of how good you are and you're going to have to learn how if you don't achieve that, you know, hit 40 home runs one year and then 29 the next and everybody's going crazy. Like, okay, well, he's not really that good. And it's like, well, maybe you overrated me in first. And so, um, I learned that right away and, you know, I just try to get better all the time. Like we all do, you know, and, and and I finally realize that experience was the best teacher And uh, failure was the best teacher about getting better the next time, never making the same mistake twice. So, you know, um, I hit in front of Hank Aaron. Eddie Matthews, you know, hit me third all the time because, and I led the league in walks every year in front of him. So my job was to be dangerous and get on base. And I found a way to do all that kind of stuff and try to be as good at third baseman as I could be. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of is I had the most uh, assist per game by a third baseman in history. And so try to be the best base runner. I could be all those kind of things that I guess, If you're the best, I don't know what that's all about, but you know, I watched Hank, he was the best at kind of everything, everything. So that's what we all strive for. So, you know, I guess that's why they kept giving me a uniform for 21 years. They must've, they must've liked what I did. So I took advantage of that.
1: Yeah. And I think, you mentioned Hank Hank is is truly to me and and we're going to talk about it a little bit later it's so interesting to you you got to witness it down this down the stretch in some historical home run 700 uh 716 and you were right there hitting in front of him Hank has always been to me and I played in Atlanta one year and and Hank was a uh you know a front a part of the front office there and I I got to uh interact with hank a little bit but <clears throat> i think the misnomer about him they always talk about hank hammer and hank the home run champ okay that's great but i used to go one further and say no not only was he a home run champ and i hate to pigeonhole him in this guy was an unbelievable player uh-huh. from from average uh-huh. to to running the bases to play in the outfield he wasn't just this home run guy You know, he's one of the greatest. My book, I look at it and, you know, I take it for what take it for what it is. I'm 53 years old. I've seen a lot of baseball, but there's a lot of guys, my senior out there that have seen more than me. But if I'm just that short list, Hank's on that short list. They always want to put Willie Mays, you know, in the hitting category. Obviously, Bonds has got to be there. Ted Williams, uh, obviously the babe back in the day. But I got to put Hank right there as one of the greatest, if not the greatest baseball player of all time.
2: Well, I, I agree with you, um, you know, unanimously. See, when I, I was first coming up in the, you know, my first year was 69, but, but they didn't play much. I was up and down. And then 71, I started playing every day. And at the time, you know, when you're young, 19, whatever word, 19, 20, 21, you're playing with this legend guy and then you realize and go, well, yeah, like just like you said, well, he hits a lot of home runs, but, man, you know, he won two batting titles. He won two stolen base titles. You know, he won a number of, of uh, uh, gold gloves. Um, you know, he one of those guys getting to see him play every single day and all kinds of adversity and everything else. And he seemed like he never made a mistake, but if he did – he was one of those guys, like like you know, that you just kind of overlook it because it's like such an odd thing. It's like, I can't believe Hank made a mistake, so you don't even think much of it. And then he'd come right back and, uh, you know, hit a game-win home run or throw somebody out or take an extra base or, you know, all the, like you said, all those things that uh, I guess people overlook because, you know, he wasn't even, he wasn't well-known. You know, in 73, gets seven gets close to, he's got 700 home runs. All of a sudden, he kind of comes on the scene. You know, even though he had won world championships, MVPs, and all that stuff with the Braves. But so what? Nobody cared about the Braves. And you know the a home run record's going to be beat, and it's like, well, who is this guy? Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, we thought Willie was going to do it or Mickey, or you know, the press was all on that too. And all of a sudden, this guy comes on, but we've been sitting him watching, and <laughs> you know what the pitchers thought of him. I mean, you know, of course. Uh, They pitched around him as much as they could, uh, you know, but at the same time, it's like, hey, we got to try to get him out too. And so he he made him pay more than anybody I've ever seen, and not just with the bat, but uh, with everything else. So... And as you know, when you put somebody out there on your team like that, it's it's like impossible to find people like that, where it's like you just expect them to do something that day and win a ball game, And if they don't, uh, it's like, wow, what happened? He we had, we had a bad day, a bad couple days or something. It, just, it was just so electrifying. It turned on the fans. It turned on the country. It turned on so many things. And I always say that Hank's personality like you got to be around for a while. I was like he was made to be this guy. Obviously, there's only one of him. Because uh, I look, I tell people, I go, you know, he has a hundred more home runs than Willie Mays. You know, he's so far ahead in so many categories, at first, the second, and absolutely everything in the history of baseball. At the time when there was pretty good pitching, uh, so. <laughs> You know it, it it was such a thrill to be able to be there for like 5 years and get to see him play how he acted off and you know he was he was a you know like everybody else I guess I wasn't there when he was young you know he was a he was a hothead you know and all that kind of stuff and then he learned to go no that's that's not the way to do it. and then he was almost that calming influence all the time you know frustrating a bad or whatever I remember one time laughing because Eddie Matthews was the manager and I'm sitting there and he's going watch Hank. Hank had gotten jammed and he had a fly ball routine fly ball to left Kana and came back in, put his helmet in the thing and walked by and, and I'm sitting next to Eddie and he walks by and says to Eddie, he goes, I got him in my trap. And it's like, well, I don't know. I, was, yeah, I didn't know what he was talking about. What are you talking about? He just watched next time. Well, the guy tried to throw him the same pitch, tried to jam him, and he hit him ball, the ball parked and and came back in and, like, gave a lesson to all of us. But it was just he was the man that needed. Um, thank God he got some attention, but he didn't get enough. But the good thing is, when somebody else gets close, he gets to be part of that again, and and we all get to enjoy. Uh, I mean, I I was blessed uh, five and a half years teammates watching him hitting in front of him. Uh, couldn't have been any better, and and being on base when he hits M fifteen. How's that work? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty cool. You know, was it? <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. You know, the biggest, I, I and, you know, back then, you were younger, but back then that meant so much to the country, not just baseball, but to the country. You know, all of a sudden, there was this big moment. And, of course, Babe Ruth was an icon for the whole world. And then all of a sudden, this guy coming on, was, who was this guy? And it was the perfect guy, the perfect gentleman, the perfect leader, and all those kind of things that we know about him.
1: Yeah, and it was man, it was. Uh, I was just going through the archives, and I watched. You know, seven hundred. Guess it, you know who was catching seven hundred? My dad, Bob Boone. He's behind the disc, because I was. I was doing a little uh, looking back on Hank's career. Oh, since today, that, was it,
2: he there for fulfilling Yeah,
1: yeah. Dad was catching. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. Oh, dad I was forgot. a part of it in a little way.
2: Well, <laughs> you know? What you didn't know? You didn't know your dad probably hasn't told you that he sometimes he'd tell us what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you didn't right. like the pit no, I just kidding. But you know, you know how that what a great moment and thrilled to be. And you know the people talked about the pitchers and like, oh well they just laid it in there or you know when Barry said to home run you know, they were like, Oh, he just stayed he just threw it. it. was like, Are you kidding me? They're all competitive but at the same time Al Downing was proud of being the guy. Because he was proud of being a guy because he challenged him and he tried to get him out. And then he, you know, and then Hank hit that home run. So all those kind of things, like you said, how many people he encompassed. Um, and we're all thrilled to be, um, you know, be a part of that.
1: Pasadena, California. That's where you were born. Um, mom was a sophomore, but you had an interesting, interesting family. Dad was a college baseball player. Uh, tell me about... Daryl Evans as a little kid growing up. Tell me about your family a little bit.
2: Oh, man, you know, I was reading about you and your brother and all that kind of stuff and talking about you guys. And and see, you have a common theme with my oldest son, Derek. You know him. You know, he was a bad boy just like you guys growing up at the right time and all that kind of stuff. But I was I grew up, um, you know, my first uh, picture, I remember as I was in a catcher's outfit, You know, and, you know, it's baseball, baseball, baseball. Well, so I was born in in Pasadena, three miles from the Rose Bowl. You know, great place to be. The athletics and everything was just fantastic. And growing up, so the competition was great. But, um, you know, everybody wanted to come over and play at our house. And we had two great things that were happening in front of our house. One was we had the street light, so we could play at night. And the other one was my mom. Who played professional softball for a long time? Two of her sisters, two of my aunts, a bunch of her friends—all those kind of—they all play professional softball. So we thought they were really great and all that kind. Of, of course, they were. And so then my mom became this kind of icon in the neighborhood. It was like, oh well, shoot, is your mom going to play? And she'd come out and catch, and you know, she wouldn't play too much. But anyway, she'd just kind of be around it because she loved baseball so much. But her dad pitched for in Mexico, Dave Salazar pitched in Mexico for the the president of Mexico who kept him from coming to pitch in the States and paid him more or as much or more as the big league guys to be the the premier pitcher in Mexico. So now that was my mom's dad, two of her brothers, two of my uncles played professionally in the minor leagues. Uh, My dad's brother Bob Evans played in minor league baseball. Um, so, you know, the grandparents, the nephew, nieces, everybody played, or you had to play pretty much because the status in the family was, okay, well, hey, we got a bunch of professionals here, so you better learn how to play. So it wasn't, I didn't need to be pushed. I loved it. I, you know, I embraced it. Like, are you kidding me? I had everybody answer, you know, go out there and play as you know, your imagination, whether you're by yourself or not, you were in the game, you were in every lineup playing wiffle ball, making it harder and harder all the time. You look back and go, how did we ever hit those little wiffle ball golf balls? I don't know. Anyway, we we learned how to do that stuff, which put us in a, a place where as we got older, we got to, you know, got to do stuff that nobody else could do. But it was all family oriented. So... And they always supported me. My dad played uh, semi-pro basketball, but he wasn't—he wasn't—you know—he would have said, "Yeah, I wasn't good enough hitter like my brother." Well, of course not. But he was a great athlete, and he was a studier of baseball. And he—and he got his dream job when we moved to Altadena, which is right by Jet Propulsion Lab and NASA over there, right. Here. And he got his dream job as a mechanical engineer one, and still has a desk at jet propulsion lab because he was one of the first guys that worked on the stuff that went out in space as a mechanical engineer. So he would come home, walk home, come home. My mom would be waiting for him. And, uh, you know, he'd sit in his chair, have his martini and it was like, okay, we got to, okay, did you memorize the rule book yet? Then, you know, my mom would go, yeah, we've been working on it and stuff. So I, <laughs> And And then it was like, well, what about you guys sending stuff over space? Oh, yeah, yeah, that stuff, too. So I was I was uh, it was just a wonderful time to be around a bunch of upbeat people and a bunch of progression. And as I look back at it now and everybody tells me, goes, you know, I couldn't have a better gift just like you. I mean, that. My mom and dad got to, you know, my dad passed away in the year 84, so he didn't get to go to World Series. But then everybody's, my brother and my my uh, uh, brother sister-in-law said they saw him at the game in Kansas City in the playoffs, and I believe him. So, and then I got to give everybody go see a World Series game in San Diego. I mean, to give that gift to my family and how much it meant to them and what they really cared about. So I, I always had this, uh, the answers to things I could ask people how do you do this that And then I realized after a while that um, I'd kind of gone to their level and passed them a little bit. So still being respectful and ask their questions, but it was kind of, I had both sides. And then I got to go and be with the, you know, my Eddie Matthews and Hank and, and learn the game. So I could bring that to my family too. So I had a wonderful, wonderful growing up. Uh, and playing sports and basketball and all that kind of stuff and being competitive because my family was all competitive and I remember the first time I uh, the first time I could get around my dad in basketball and playing against him and his brother they're bigger than me and and so make a layup at home and the but and they run you right into the garage door and call no foul so we were you know like your dad we were pushed man it's like hey that's go. Figure out how good you can be. So, I, I yeah, got that opportunity and I loved it.
1: You're right, and and that family atmosphere and being around a bunch of people that are so competitive kind of pushes you. You went to Muir High School, Jackie Robinson's High School. Oh, a favorite one of mine, dude. David David Lee Roth went to Muir High School. I I think I actually when I was in high school in Orange County played against Muir High School in, in some in some capacity. I forget where, but Muir is very it resonates in my mind. Um, you went there, you were, you, you mentioned basketball. You were a basketball player too. You go on to play basketball college at, at uh, Pasadena city college. You're drafted by the Cubs in night in 1965. Uh, but you end up going to Pasadena, uh, Pasadena city college for play baseball and basketball. I think you won two championships in both sports. Pretty interesting. Uh, take me through the 65 draft. You were drafted by the Cubs, didn't sign, elected to go to college. What went into that mm-hmm. decision of yours? And uh, then we'll go through Pasadena. I want to hear about your hoops.
2: Well, hey, man, you know, the, well, yeah, that was, I actually love basketball as much as I did baseball. And I ended up being a point guard. So as as like, you know, uh, well, you played second, I played third. You know how much you have to be a, aware of what's going on ahead of time. You got to cheat a little bit, you know, you got to these things, the experience puts you and go, okay, he's going to hit it this way, he might hit it this way. And all those kind of things that we, that we had to learn and, and use. Well, that was basketball for me, but I had grown up, uh, of course, in my, like I said, my dad was a real good basketball player and a lot of the other parts of my family were too. Uh, so I love that because, you know, back then we played all the sports. Didn't we? I mean, we didn't, you know, there wasn't a, uh, all, uh, you know, full-time baseball. That would have been crazy because so much of what I learned from basketball is so apropos to baseball. I mean, the quickness and, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I played, so I went to pass city College, but I should have been a Trojan because I had a full ride to USC and be on all those great teams too. But because the draft was up, and back then it was like I I wanted to go, I wanted to sign. But I got drafted by the Cubs, and my dad, as smart as he of course was, he didn't have agents. But you know the scout come in and and we talk about it, and they get they you know let California hitting and all that kind of stuff, and you know I get eight thousand dollar bonus, and my dad was so I mean he was livid because. Um, and he'd go, well, you know what, if you sign with the Cubs, just think who's the third base for the Cubs. He was forward thinking, obviously, you know, I'm 19 years old or 18 years old. He's thinking about two or three years down the line. If I am good enough to make the big leagues, who's the third base for the Cubs? Well, that was Ron Santo. So it was like, Hey man, you know, how are you ever going to get a chance here? And, and we got to get more money so they can invest more and they'll, they'll take care of you more. So he, like I said, he knew what was going on. So, so because of that, I would have gone back to you. I would have gone to USC, but I couldn't, I wouldn't, I couldn't assign that. Happened to be the first draft by the way, too. <laughs> you got drafted crazy. five times. Yeah. So then back then it was every six month draft. So I got captured and drafted, and every team of the Phillies, so Dick Allen was a third baseman, um, then the Yankees, and that was Klee was a third baseman. Um, let's see, the Tigers were the ones, kind of, but Aurelio Rodriguez, or, uh, yeah, he was there. And then I had to finally sign because uh, after two years of playing, I had to sign went and signed with the Kansas City A's and playing with all those guys who won three World Series. I've room with Raleigh Fingers and Double A. And and so I got in this great organization, but because before that, I had got to play basketball for Jerry Tarkanian in junior college. Was it Jewett on the towel then? Pardon? Was oh yeah, you that? know, that's amazing. Everybody asked me that. Of course he was. Oh my God, he was a big figure. Then he had already won three state titles at Riverside City College, and then he's from Pasadena. He got hired there, and I happened to be. Uh, that was my second year, and I was I'd been the uh, scoring and all that. What the year before, but I didn't even. It was kind of scary because I didn't even know the, even if they'd like to go try out because he brought in all the best players from, we had Mr. Basketball from, from Southern California, from Michigan, from New York, three guys that played, uh, ended up playing the NBA, John Trapp was one of them, Sam Robinson. Anyway, so all these guys that came out of nowhere and it was like, man, I don't even know if I got a shot here. Well, he, his, his uh, assistant called me and said, Hey, you're, you're coming. And I go, Well, I didn't even say, I don't know if I got a shot. He goes, are you kidding me? Come on. And he goes, I saw you, I saw you score 33 points against Harbor it's like, you know, so you don't realize what's going on. But the best thing happened was Tark. Everybody knows we pressed everybody. We were in such great shape. And I had to catch up with those guys that were quicker than me. And I had to learn how to do that and all that kind of stuff. And I became the point guard for Jerry Tarkanian team. You probably wouldn't, most people wouldn't think that, but man, I had to be in such great shape, and and all that kind of stuff. From the quickness helped me, and of course, in baseball too, the same way. My my defense and running the base, all all those kind of things. So I was in a perfect storm at the time. I look back and I go, I was always been a Trojan fan uh, growing up. My high, my little league coach had only girls, and he was a season ticket holder for FC, So he would take me. So I was a big Trojan fan from the get-go. Going to get the chance to play, go there and play, but things the circumstances didn't work out. And I was lucky enough to go to. Oh, so junior cards won the state championship in baseball and in basketball, and at the same year. And we had the best football team too. Whether it was a junior Rose Bowl, so I was a fun and all the competition. You know, that's I, as you know, that's what makes you better. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're better than everybody, you don't get better. You got to find somebody else that's going to challenge you or somebody else that scares the hell out of you, which is kind of what it is. And then I was mean, like, people, you know, go up there and you going to face Bob Gibson for the first, you know, stuff like that. so I end up hitting a home run, my first home run on Bob Gibson. And what do you think everybody thought? Oh, everybody asked me, well, did he knock you down? And I didn't. But... You know, all those kinds of things we got to go. So I was being prepared by, by, I guess, the the toughest competition in the country, pretty much. And at the same time, we were playing, uh, you know, there was freshman teams back then for the first time. So we were playing USC, UCLA freshmen and all those and all those different things. I Actually, in basketball, I got to play against uh, Kareem or Lou Alcindor back then. He, w- he was a freshman same time I was. We haven't been on, his ba- on the basketball schedule. So all those things, I guess I was in a perfect situation and then when I signed, it was the first time, you got to remember, it was the second time I ever got in a plane. It was the first time I'd really kind of left the area. And now you're, and as you know, you get, I mean, you're homesick. You're not used to it. You're going to another part of the country and you haven't adapt and you have to grow up and you have to be, oh, now you got to be a man and you got to take care of yourself. Whereas, like, uh, I don't know. I did, and then I got to play, too. So, Uh, great lessons that you have to learn, and that's why we're all proud that we got to play one day in the big leagues. I mean, not very many people have ever got to do that. And uh, so, you know, we take pride in how hard we had to not just work, you know, people say that, but how we had to persevere. You know, back then it was like, <laughs> I remember going to Birmingham and, and taking 12, 14 hour bus trips in the middle of the summer here. And I live in Texas where, you know, it's hot and no air conditioning bus. But you get on the bus and you got to get off and you got to go play and nobody cares and nobody sees you. But at the same time, you get get to learn those lessons of that are invaluable when you get to the big leagues and you have to compete against the best people in the world.
1: Kareem, you played against Kareem. You scored 12 points that game. I did my well, I see,
2: You know what? I never found that. Somebody found that for me, too. Yeah. That yeah, was a how good was, story, I was, guess. But well, we, only, we only got beat by 50. so He had to be. I look back and go, oh, yeah, man. Well, you know, when you're doing it, you're not aware of. Of course, he was one of the best. And, you know, they changed the rule. You couldn't dunk. But in junior odd we could dunk. And that's one of the things Tark would do. We everybody dunked before the game so we'd intimidate the other teams. But then, you know, the year before when Tark wasn't there, we were a five hundred team and got had these guys on our skin and played in our little gym at P PZ. What a I mean, that was a thrill of a lifetime obviously. And you go out there and compete and uh, you know, good things happen. So, uh It it was like, yeah, just opportunities. I was so, you know, I've been so blessed to have so many of those. 67,
1: you're drafted by the Athletics. You sign, and and this is interesting, interesting. um, You end up playing in Peninsula, Virginia. I played. That was my first stomping ground. Old War Memorial Um, Park had that that, uh, concrete fence in center field. That was part of that Carolina (laughs) league. And then you mentioned yeah. Birmingham. I know, I know those bus trips because I played in Jacksonville, and we used to take that bus trip to Birmingham. Um, you signed after your second year in junior college. You're off playing. Uh, how was that adjustment for you in the minor leagues? Was it an adjustment, or you, well, were, it, ready? you were ready for it, it after being drafted five times?
2: Well, yeah, you know, I was, I was ready for it because, and, and that I just didn't sit around. I was playing on these, on these great teams and, you know, at at Pat's City College, we had five or six guys sign baseball every year. So we had good programs. And, and of course we were planning it for the best people in Southern California, California. So you got to see the best pitchers and you got to see all that kind of stuff. So I was, I would, I would say I was ready, but you're not ready. Like, you know, you're not ready to go somewhere else. And all of a sudden you got no money and you got to find a place to live in. And you're going into an environment where everybody else you're playing with is in the same boat. You don't know what's going on because it's not like there's not any veterans. When you go to the rookie league, you know, it's a bunch of kids just like you from all over the country, which was fantastic because I got to see everybody's the same, you know, everybody comes from a different environment, but we all got the same place. And then now it's like, okay, that's a step up. You know, it was, it was like a challenge to me, but see, I just want to, you know, I'd hit four thirty two years in a row in junior college against the best competition in California that led the country in hitting. So I wasn't ever, you know, I wasn't intimidated. And I, and it was like the second day in the rookie league, the second day we played, I was on the A's and played the Cardinals. Okay, so what? Rookies, Who's are these guys? Well, the catcher was Ted Simmons and the pitcher was uh, Jerry Royce. Two guys have played twenty years in the big leagues too, and and but at the time it wasn't a big deal. But it was a big deal because I hit a home run off of Jerry Royce, a left-hander, and it was the first night game that we had played. So now all of a sudden the scouts and everybody else was going, "Well." Then it was like, "Well, there was a question that you know he could, he hadn't played at night, he couldn't see, and if we could hit lefties." So I guess that. Uh, Kind of proof I mean you know then I hit four eighty nine in three weeks in the rookie league because because they weren't as good as my junior college team, you know they were younger guys, high school guys a lot of them facing a lot of that, you know this fastball here, whatever, no command a corner, and all those kind of thing so it was um but I had another teammate that was came there and played the same team he ended up hitting like one fifty, so. I don't know how that worked, but it was like, Hey man, I was on a roll and that confidence was rolling. And I was like, Hey, I could play with these guys. Cause you know, I'm still going to face some really, really good people that are better probably than junior college. But the junior college team I played on every single day was, was good or better than the rookie league team there. So, so that made it easier. And I was only there three weeks and then they sent me the Florida state league and I hit 260 for I don't know uh, almost two months. Oh my God! I I've, I've that was uh, was like ah oh, man I can't hit anymore. You know i there, I mean, are you kidding me? I never hit under 400. What the heck's going on here? Well, it was that that teaching moment gone. Oh, there's a reason why. First of all, they catch the ball better. You know, and then it's like, so all those kind of things that factor in and you're like, okay, so yeah, they're older pitchers. They got a little bit of a command. So, so all those steps was fun for me. I I guess I was ready. I wasn't ready maturity in my own life. Like none of us, not in 19 years old, you know, I remember whatever. But uh, when I was playing, when I was playing baseball, man, I was in my comfort zone. And I was always looking for that challenge because that I realized for my family and everybody else is like, "Hey, you only get better if you get to, if you get the base the best and the better and better the more you get, the more the better you have a chance to be." So I took it from there, and I luckily, like I said, I had a great start in the rookie league. Went to the Florida State League. They thought I guess was good enough, so they sent me to Peninsula for the last three weeks because they were making a playoff run. We ended up playing getting in the third baseman. There was hurt, so I got to play every day and I hit 400 there and ended the season and that was it. And then now it's like, now I'm I, cuss, I was on the map uh, where there was questions before. So, and then one of the greatest things that ever happened to me too in my baseball and my whole life was I, I joined the Marines rather than getting drafted. So I joined the Marines in Los Alamitos right there in El Toro where we grew up and, and had to be there for, you know, six months, uh, away. So, uh, joined in December. Uh, it was the greatest thing ever happened to me. There's nothing like being, um, in the Marines, uh, you know, the first eight, we are the first 12 weeks, and you're training and all that kind of stuff. You're not really a Marine. They're tra- training you, and then you get to, and you have to have your top button closed all the time, and then when you become a Marine, they and they give you the the emblem and everything, and you get to open that button, man, you feel like you've gone through stuff that you had no idea you could go through or that it kind of existed out there. So, So I went from... Man, and it was great for me because I went from, uh, I weighed about 185, 190. I got out of that six-month program, and I was at 215, not lifting weights, but just getting strong and keeping my same quickness and all that stuff. So there was that time right there that everything was perfect for me to make me bigger, stronger, better, quicker physically, and, of course, mentally having to go through. I tell people all the time, you know, I played – Braves, Giants, and Tigers, but the best team I ever played on was the Marines, and still this day still is. So so there was always something getting better for me all the time. So after that, it wasn't like a piece of cake, but it was like, hey, you know what? I've been through harder this. So I felt like I had an advantage mentally and physically on pretty much to where I needed to be.
1: I remember at those times too, because you and Dad are of similar
2: age. Yeah, yeah was, your Dad and I had some great—we had great times together. I guess I was you know, so.
1: But i, I always so, remember I is, kid,
2: I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: I remember as a little kid, and and that's why the, the Marine, the yeah. Marine part of your life was so interesting to me, because at that similar time, Dad was a reserve in the Army. And I always remember as a yeah. little kid, I knew my dad was a baseball player, but I'm thinking, dad, what is this green army bag? And I remember these big black boots <laughs> that he had. And then and then I see your Marine story. And that hits home for me, because that's very, you know, another thing that that our lives have that are similar. You were actually the father figure in it. But uh Interesting, because I saw that Marine pop up, and I go, "Wow, I remember that Army bag of dads right around the same time." I was born, I was born in '69. Well, we so I was all right wanted to help.
2: You know, we all wanted to be, and of course, we. I mean, I think people don't realize. I, I would say, I don't know how many percentage of the guys. You know, some had to go, you know, some ended up having to go to Vietnam or Vietnam, you know, they volunteered and took two years off for whatever it was. And you know, we're proud of those guys it's like kind of amazing, but the rest of us, almost all of us were in the reserves. So that was, and of course, like you said, it was another thing that said, look, you, look at how you proud of your dad was that way. And you know, my Derek and my other sons, same way you were a Marine. Wow. And it's like, yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's like, okay, I, I, I'm glad I had, I got to do that because in the long run, like I said, it made me so much more strong and matured and felt confident about myself because I had been through so much stuff that they put you through. And of course there's no complaining, it's like if you don't do it, just like a baseball. If you don't do it, hey man, they're gonna send you home. Get out of here. So it was a. Uh, it was always that okay. Hey, hey I've been through this before. I've been through slumps. I've been through all that don't know, This is a slump doesn't mean nothing to what we've gone through. So, and it makes you feel so proud. You know, and we all feel that way. You know, uh, being in the military and knowing what that's all about, and knowing so many people around the country in uh, the same thing, and how wonderful those people are.
1: 68. Uh, and for the people out there listening to the Boom Podcast, you are in the Rule 5 draft. What that means is uh, the team that drafts you, they've got to put you in the big leagues for the entire season, or they've got to give you back to the team that you were drafted for. 69 was your first year in the big leagues. You only got 26 at-bats, but I've always interested in this because I had a, a mentor when I got to the big leagues uh, that kind of took me under his wing. Did you have anyone on that 69 Braves team kind of take care of you and take you under his wing?
2: No. yes, yeah, several, but you know, one of the guys, my idol growing up and like, like you said, my idol, absolute idol growing up was Eddie Matthews left-handed hit third baseman You know, what had the reputation of, you know, as a captain as a tough guy. He was that guy. So, and he was from Santa Barbara, so California guy. So, you know, when we're out in the front yard and everything else or whatever, and I was always emulating Eddie. And, you know, I love because I, uh, I love third base. Uh, You know, I love that, that toughness that you have to be and all that kind of stuff. And, and how you have to be more ready to me. I always thought I had to be more ready than anybody on the field. I mean, I know people talk about the catcher. Well, it's okay. They they get used to just catching the ball and then they got to do something after it. But me at third base, man, and you know, uh, you know, you, a, a half a step of just a breath of air, the quickness and all that comes to stuff meant so much. And you, and I was so, I was so excited about playing third. So now I get there and Eddie Matthews is there and I'm like, and he came to me and everybody was well, long story, but in spring training. So I had gone from another organization to the Braves, and I'd only played four months in the minor leagues. And so nobody on the Braves knew me, I thought, but when I got rule fived over there, which is Eddie Robinson was responsible from that for the, the guy. He just passed away. He was the oldest living player for a long time, eight time all-star and five world series, all that kind of stuff. He was responsible because he brought me over because he went from the A's to the assistant general manager of the, of the Braves. So, When they do that, you know, you expect, it's like, okay, who is this guy and all that stuff, but that wasn't the case. Cleet Boy was the third baseman, big, you know, great player, great star. And he took me under his wing right away. And I I was kind of surprised because Eddie had already done that. Eddie had gone, hey, come on, see, take me down the cage by myself and work on, on, you know, hitting bullets at me and... (laughs) All kinds of things. Anyway, but Cleet was there as a star, and you would think that maybe, ah, eh, you know what, this guy's going to take my maybe take my job, and they they treat you like that, but they didn't. They treated me just the opposite. And I and I got to the point of listening, and after a while, I was like, it was like Cleet, it's like, in any Boat, you know, would go, hey, if you're, we want you to be as good as you can be, because no matter what happens. You know, if you if we, if you're going to be on this team, you better be really good in case somebody gets hurt. You get your chance, all that kind of stuff, and and all that. So we want to make you as good as you can be. So that that was to me kind of surprising, uh, just for a brief amount of time. But then I could see it's like, yeah, this is all about there. You know, in the minor leagues, you're trying to get get to the big leagues through an individual more than anything else. But you, as you know, when you get to big leagues, that turns all the way around. I mean, I got the biggest, I got the greatest player of all time helping me. So, you know, it's like, you understand and go, no, no, this is about winning games. This is their job. This is what they do, you know, and and they and they treasure being there every second and trying to get better. So, um, you know, couldn't have better lessons from that. And then having the guy that I eventually, they trade Boyer two years later in 71. So because I had done well enough, so I guess they wanted, you know, I was I was there to take over, and I look back and I go, you know, Cleek treated me as good as anybody, and of course, and so it, it was a, it was a great learning process that uh, you know we all went through, and then it's like, man, okay, well, I feel comfortable, and then all of a sudden, you know, Eddie becomes Eddie Matthews becomes the manager. And now I'm hitting in front of Hank. Like, yeah, that, okay. yeah, Eddie took over Lum, I believe, as <laughs>
1: manager at the beginning. Then Eddie Matthews, your buddy, becomes a skipper. And that that's yeah. too, where you kind of kind of make a name for yourself a little bit. You hit 19 homers, drive in 71. That's leading into your 73 year, where you're an all-star, and you hit 41 homers. Yeah. Um, yeah that was interesting. Yeah, you know, I, had, it, it, I, I yeah. had I had it, I had Davey on the show a couple months. Uh, I played for Davey uh in my in the mid 90s in Cincinnati. And that was that unique year for you guys. You hit 41, Davey hit I don't know, 42 at it, 42 or 43, yeah, uh, he. Yeah, record for a second and baseman hit. and then Hank hit 40. Yeah. I think you were the only th- uh, only teammates three of you had to ever hit 40 in a lineup. Take me through that year a little well, bit. What a great team you had, too. You had Cepeda, Hoyt, Wilhelm. Negro was on that team, a young Dusty Baker.
2: Yeah, it's just uh, amazing. You look back and go, all of a sudden, like you said, I went from 19 to 41 home runs. But, you know, um, I was being topped by the best. And they, and they were going, hey, come on. You're better this. Come on. Get the ball in the air more. That's basically all he told me was, hey, you know, you, yeah, you hit the ball hard, hit the line, yeah, yeah, okay, we got to teach, you know, learn how to hit the ball in the air more. And I and I did, you know, you know, you go through, you've been through those those wonderful streaks where you just, you know, I tell people, like, well, shoot, figure it out after a while, you play six months, 24 weeks, and if you hit one home run a week, um, you know, that's a scar, I guess, especially back then. And then it's like, and then so. well, what about Hank? Well, Hank hit two in a week for 20, whatever. But you know how hard that is. But if you're not trying to do it, I don't think you'll ever be able to do it. So that's what happened when Davey came over there too from Baltimore. He, you know, he was a star, you know, he had 18, 20 home run, maybe second baseman all of a sudden. And then when he got around around Eddie and Hank and Eddie goes, Hey, I don't care what you hit. Come on, you got to be more productive. And so, you know, it kind of became contagious. But see, that it was 73 when Hank had gotten to 700. So there wasn't kind of pressure on us. You know, there wasn't anything about, I don't think we knew, well, you're going to be the first ones to ever hit three teammates at 40. I mean, that's never happened before and you're going to be part of that. And you're like going on. Oh, no, well, we didn't really have pressure because the pressure was not the pressure, but all the tension was on Hank. So we got to the point, you know how it goes. We got to the point where he, you know, when he got to uh, his 40th home run, was seven And so we, Davey and I both had gotten to 40 the week before, well, of course, then we started calling him "old oh, man." Let's go catch up, get us into the Hall of Fame, you know. So well, we're going to do it. So we, so I think we had some fun and took the pressure off him, or not pressure, you know. That's not pressure, whatever. Took the, you know, so he could enjoy the game, and he had a goal. And and you know when he hit that 40th, which put us all two days before the season, in at seven thirteen. He brought us into this press conference, Davy and I, like, and said, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm so proud to be part of this, and I want you know my teammates to you know and acknowledge them and how proud I am and how this pushed me and how how much and how it made it easier for me, you know, it was a wonderful thing, but typical Hank, of course, but and then they would then they went, no, nah, no, nah, we don't want to talk about that." <laughs> And he goes, well, I do. So he talked to him and he goes, okay, I'm out of here. And at the time he was having, you know, I mean, it's pretty typical now, I guess a little bit different, but at the time, you know, there was 200, 300 press people from all over the world. What he was doing and he did that for us. And um, so, you know, it, it was, you found out how this works. You know, you bring each other up. The competition on your own team is a fun, is a fun thing. I mean, you guys, you guys in the Mariners, when you won all those games, my God, the great players that you had, all everybody had a great year and everybody, whatever, and we did too, but man, we didn't, we, we were playing at the Dodgers and the, and the Reds, big Red Machine in our own division Mm -hmm. and, you know, Houston and all that, so, so. It didn't actually translate into the wins that we would have traded for any of that stuff, but pretty cool man to be the first group being the first ones at forty. And that year Stargill won he hit forty four. Nobody in the America League hit forty that year. And nobody hit forty again, I think for five or six years after that that run, that magical thing in seventy three. Uh so it was, you know, that was the upper standard then, uh, you know, 40, 41 was like a pipe dream, you know, I was like, well, how do you do that? Well, I, you, don't, you don't do it. He just, you just you're more consistent a couple of times where you get those balls. that, You know, for me, it's like those balls that I hooked around the pole were foul, fair instead of foul. You know, four or five of them and then you get confidence and things are rolling and and man, they're pitching to me. You know, and then they're and then one of the things that year I, I got intensely walked twice to so them to pitch to Hank, so that's a pretty cool thing. Going back, oh really? Yeah, I that, <laughs> that walked I me to, to Yeah. So that,
1: I had that happen Oof. to me and uh Edgar Edgar Martinez used to hit behind me, the great the great right-handed hitter. Sure. And I remember mm-hmm. uh a couple years and it's it made Edgar and Edgar's one of my my true good buddies in the game and one of my favorite teammates of all time. But I remember they intentionally walked me a few times to get to Edgar. And I remember as close as we were buddies to me, that was the highest, uh, you know that was the highest honor you could give me to actually. Yeah. I, I saw him putting out the four, and I'm like, "You're going to intentionally walk me to get to Poppy," and I thought it was the yeah. coolest thing in the world. Where Edgar didn't think it was very cool. <laughs> he thought, "How dare you intentionally?" You know, but I could brought that in. I said, "Edgar, I don't know, man. It's tough it and with you behind me. I might have to get somebody else behind me with a little better track record."
2: They keep of course, man. I, what, I need what some are protection. The, what are the hey, one or two times you, that
1: it happened, you know, it was cool.
2: Well, Hank was the same way. I guess what he did? The two times they walked, in, of course he got the game when it hit. Yeah, and he it's... was like, "Well, oh, yeah." So, you know, and like you said, they didn't, you know, because that's respect. So, but they, you know, they they're confident enough to know, and and so we could kid them about it and all that kind of stuff. But you know. I guess people don't understand what that does. That turns people on the best people get turned on by adversity. Don't you think? I mean, that's, that's what you, that's what you live for. It's not, you know, and I hear the uh, the pressure and all, it's like, it's a wonderful pressure. It's there's not, it's not a bad pressure. It's like, man, I got to be in this situation at this time, and and you can go back and go, man, that's what I was doing in the front yard with my imagination, and I get to do this, and you get to look around, and there are lots of people on TV, and, and you get to see the replays, and all, I mean, it's a... Would I have done anything different back then? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, I was lucky enough to be in that situation. And so I cherished... You now, I never missed their bats i never I'm never missed and that that was something they taught me too. I kind of by osmosis and everything is that, you know I never didn't pay attention uh you know like during spring training you know I never when you get taken out of a game earlier I never left. I wanted to see what was going on because I might see something that I needed to remember about what might happen during the middle of the season, some play, something, or I could just watch what the other players were doing and what to expect, you know, playing third or two. like hey, this guy never hits the ball down the line. So, and all kinds of things like that are what the situation is. And, and, and so they taught me that part of the game too. Is like, you know, never miss it. And so of course I, well, who would miss it? Hank Aaron at bat, especially then, but then I got to play with the giants and Willie McCu like Willie McCovey and Jack Clark, all those guys I got to see and they made you better because they're like, Oh, okay. Uh, what? And then, you know, you got to ask them and well, how'd you do that? And they go, well, like I said, Hank, you know, it's like, well, I got him in my trap, man. He's got to do this again. So, you know, and that that kind of comes back to your dad, which I always had fun and I learned after a while is to, so you play three, four-game sets, so you hit off the catcher. I didn't hit off the pitchers. I mean, whatever they're, you know, they're all different. And so, you know, if they got you out one way, the game before, they probably gonna get you out unless it was some, you know, stellar guy that was just going to pitch his game. But it was like this fun game of like, like your dad. You know, what's the second most games behind the plate of all time? I mean, it was that chess game with him going, okay. Because remember, too, when you're hitting, they may, you know, they may make a mistake somewhere, but they weren't intentionally doing that. And you don't know until you see the films. And, you know, we didn't really see the films much back then. It was like, well, he's trying to go away, but he came in and he made him pay. And then now you change everything else, and you have to, and you have to play that game, and you have to every single time you got to adjust. But it was like, okay, so you know, sometimes it's like, hey, Booney, you could, you gonna try to come in here. You, you look at me and just kind of smile, like, no, but they can't help it because they couldn't throw the ball where they wanted to. That's how, cool, that's how we could hit because, because they made enough mistakes, and we were we were in that league group to make them pay for that. And that was, um, you know, that was a learning process and that was something that you can't, we had the best teachers, I mean, ever to play. So uh, you got to keep up with that and to see them, like I said, see Hank have all that success and all that joy was just a, you know, just so, so heartwarming and, and so great and, and what he's thought of now, Finally, even when bonds got close to him, started to get close to him. Then they, then people went, Oh, that's right. It's Hank Aaron. Who is that? And so the new generation is like, he did, he got, he got some of the police and credit that he, he should have more. And so, you know, and I, and I got to be a part of that and see how he did it. And he was open and he cared and he, and he wanted everybody to be better. And he was humble and, and all those cool things that uh, we all love about that stuff. So, so like you said, you know, you, you, you're going to school every day. I was going to school and I love school. I certainly love sports school. I certainly love baseball school. So, uh, I mean, and, and you get to do it every day and not many people can do that. I mean, look at how long you played. Look at how many games you played. And look at how your how many games your dad played. I remember one of the thrills of my life, and I don't even know if he knows this. We were at a charity deal uh, out in Southern California, and it's Raleigh Fingers Charity Deal. Well, and at the end of the program, they brought guys up, and I was sitting with your dad, Reggie, Jackson, Steve Garvey, and Raleigh Fingers guys that played like I got to play, we get to play longer than almost everybody. So it was, you know, it's a big true. You look around, you go, wow, man, this is, this is the, the epitome of baseball. And you, and they put me in that group. So, uh, you know, I, I was always trying to outsmart your dad. And I remember your dad asked me one time, uh, and when I think with the angels and he goes, how, he goes, how the hell do you hit that ball? and uh, pitch inside or maybe out to play and keep it fair. And I go, well, here, let me tell you. And then I go, I mean, I couldn't really talk much or anything like that. And uh, then I thought, well, shoot, man, I, you know, in the time, we'll talk about it, and all that. I well, I never heard from him. So, you know, I could have made him better. <laughs> but it was all about, you know, it was all about, hey, I don't care how good these guys are, they're going to make mistakes. That's what Hank is like. So they're going to make a mistake. I got to be patient enough to wait for that, because I, and and if I do, then I can't miss it. And that to me is the difference between the the elite guys didn't miss it as much. They did, they, they weren't getting fooled. And then what I see now in a lot of things is they're late. They're not ready. You know, it's like hey, I got somebody throwing a hundred miles an hour out there. My JR Richards and Noah Ryan. Am I looking for a break uh, Probably not. And it's like, you know, so if you don't get to break them all over, then I'm going to get a fastball, hopefully to hit, and I got to do something with it. Don't miss it. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, like you said, look at your career. I mean, you, man, I mean, that year you had when you drove, how'd you drive 140 runs or on? something? How the hell lot. did you I do that? I, I, I don't get it. it. How how did you have that many people on base? And well, I guess that team you had, but that, just an opportunity to drive and something like that, and you exactly. did it. What a, yeah.
1: After uh, you get traded to the Giants, and you mentioned McCovey, and uh, later later in your Giants years, you get to play for Frank Robinson, another one of the true true greats yeah. in the game. You're an All Star in '83. But I want to talk about when you went to when you went to San Francisco, because I played there uh, for the majority of my career was Candlestick was still Candlestick before the new stadium. I got to play in the new stadium as well. Tell tell people what it's like as the home team, because as a visitor coming to Candlestick was a nightmare, always blowing cold when it's supposed to be in the middle of the summer and warm. And I and I remember this, Daryl never hit a ball and it and know where it's going to, I hit some balls there so hard yeah. that didn't go anywhere. And I pop some balls up to right center. And by the, you know, yeah. I think it's a can of corn out halfway down the first baseline, it goes into the seats and I'm almost like, Oh my goodness, how did that happen? So I always thought you never know at candlestick bark, you got to hit it. Give me a little, give the audience a little bit of a, uh, <laughs> inside on what well, it's like see, I see. I played, you know,
2: I played seven and a half years for the Braves at, at Candlestick, of course, you know, as a visitor. And, you know, we all wanted to go, oh, man, get three games, get the hell out of here. So I'd been, I, been, you know, I played there as a visitor with the Braves for a long time. And like you said, and you know, get, you know, okay, three games, get the heck out of here. And you don't know, live and, and going in the hotel before you go to the games. The you know, we go down there for lunch or whatever. Well, if the wind was blowing in, you were in big trouble, you know, because downtown sometimes was nice because where Candlestick was was this confluence of the breeze coming from the ocean, from the bay. I don't know, they, you know, how to explain it, whatever, but it was like this perfect place where, you know, 30, 40 mile an hour winds, it was damp all the time. It wasn't a conducive place. And I remember growing up in Southern California, and getting to watch the Dodger giant games on TV in black and white and seeing all these people in parkas and you know, and they'd show them and their and the wind would be blowing like crazy and all that stuff. And you're thinking this California in the middle of July can't be like that until you go there, as you know, and you know, so you. But then, when you become a home team guy, then it's like people go, "Wow, listen, you get used to it." You know, it's uh, and it's like, wait a minute. So, as a visitor, you play twelve games there, and as a, a guy at home, you play, uh, you know, eighty-one, and you think it's going to be better for us. Well, of course, it wasn't. You know, it was, but it was a mindset kind of deal. And uh, some guys didn't want to, you know, come there and play, and some guys and stuff. So it was hot. I think, in a way, it hurt the Giants because it was. Uh, you know, they had great pharmacists and brought up great players of their own, but they couldn't get anybody else to go play there. But, you know, like you said, that, that jet stream to right center, my God, I hated Dale Murphy. He, I don't know, I mean, he hit a home run, two home runs every game against us in Candlestick because He hit that ball at right center, and I was like, oh, man. But then McCovey and I, Mac could talk about it, when he first came up, there wasn't stands in right field. So the wind... It helped and blew everything out there. Well, when they got the stand in there, it started to swirl. So now, if you if you hit it straight away, right, sometimes it would end up blowing the foul. So you know that was. And I remember seeing Mac at. Uh, I'm going to William McCovey Awards. Uh, in fact, uh, this Friday. That they have every year for the MVP of the team. I won it a long time ago, so they bring us all back, and it's great to see Mac. And of course, now he's gone and everything else. But I remember, I don't know, maybe when the first, when the new stadium opened up, and we're sitting up there before the game and talking and everything, and he goes, "Duty," well, you know, that was my nickname, Howdy Duty. There, whatever, and he goes, "Duty." He goes, have you taken batting practice here? And I go, Mac, I have played for, you know, when, played for 10 years, 15, whatever. And he goes, well, we'd still be able to hit him out of this bandbox. And he goes, you know what? It's hard to hit him foul now, too. He goes, man, it would have been fun playing in this part. So, you know, if I, yeah, you only hit 500. So, you you know, he probably would hit 700, if, or whatever. You know, all those kind of things that we, we think about. But it was such a... It became a bear sometimes, especially when you weren't playing good, you know, of course, when you're, and you're in the race and everything's going pretty good, you, you know, it, it was easy to zone that thing out, but you know, every once in a while you get reminded of that, you know, they had, well, you weren't there at first, they had the dirt infield and there was so much dust blown around Then they put turf on there and they've had the little sliding boxes. And that still, you know, still didn't matter because the wind was blowing no matter what. And, you know, those little whirlwinds and all that kind of stuff. And at third base, it was like, man, I don't be blowing up in front of my face just as the guy's hitting a rocket down here. Or at home plate. at least you could maybe call timeout um, on those things. But, you know, and, and it was cold and it wasn't comfortable and it wasn't, you uh, it was damp. But you know when we when we were really good, and uh, the Dodger Giant rivalry was became the came back, and the first time maybe in out in San Francisco, uh, we got invited blue and 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 well now we were competitive and we were as good as the Dodgers in the big red machine, and the fifty five thousand people there going crazy, uh, that made it you know. I guess it made it warmer, <laughs> whatever, but it'll, it'll you know, when you got that kind it. of support, you didn't think <laughs> about it so bad, right. you know, you had the blinders on driving to the ballpark and not getting out of the park. Well, because every time you open the door, your hat would fly everywhere. You know, I'm playing coming out of those right field <laughs> the locker room that was the hardest thing is remember oh man when you open that door and your hat's out in center field so all those things you had to you know it wasn't it wasn't just playing baseball you had to factor in all those kind of things so I think in the long run it probably hurt us because we had to play there more more odd things would happen and change games and stuff like that so uh, but uh, it was a it was a great great atmosphere because uh, it was it was the Dodger-Giant rivalry, you know, you played in the other ones, Boston. Or it's a, but the Dodger-Giant rivalry out there is, is like nothing else.
1: 83, you're an all-star, and now you're headed to the Tigers. You're going to go play for uh, Sparky Anderson. I've had, you know, yeah. Lance is a, is a family friend. Oh, uh, no, yeah. He's Tram best, and, and Gibby. Uh, your first year over there, you end up being world champion. Um, Take me through that 84 season with the Tigers. Well,
2: 35 and five. You know, how do you describe that? But then you look around and you go, you know, we had one of the great teams of all time. Uh, And not everybody had great years. But like the team, some of the teams you played on, you don't have to have everybody having great years. But everybody's got to have good and and we were so loaded. I mean, we you know had Chet Lemon hit an eight a lot, Larry Herndon hit an eight, Johnny Grubb and those guys. So you know we were we were loaded. I mean, he got well, Lou should be in the Hall of Fame with it for two. Yeah, we had one, two, two Hall of Famers that hit twenty home runs a year. You know, so it was just and bull gloves and all that kind of stuff, and then. We had Howard Johnson was our third baseman, but he was, I think, it was his first year or something. And Sparky didn't. We ended up trading because Sparky didn't like his defense. <laughs> In fact, you know, maybe he might have regretted that move. We could have had Howard Johnson for all those years too. But, but '84 was magic because we didn't. I was the first, I guess, so-called big-time free agent they ever had. So. Um, it was, there was high expectations. I'd kinda not been in that so much because, you know, playing with Hank, you know, he's I mean, he was the best player on the team. Playing with he was the best player probably on the team and all that. So but, you know, I was up there and and so when I went to this new team, they all thought I hit forty home runs every year. You know, it was the first time I've been in the American League. I played 15 years naturally, so first time in American League. So, for me, it was, like, uh, exciting and new and everything else. And and then I found out from Larry Herndon who I played with in San Francisco, how great a team the Tigers were. I mean, you thought, mentioned Lance and Gibby. I mean, you know, that... I mean, Lance was the best, probably best catcher baseball at the time, both ways, you know, and Lou and Tram, and then Chet in center field, Lemon, he was the best, as good as anybody, and, um but I went to spring training and the focus was on me kind of for the first time, which was kind of scary in a way. But, uh, and then, you know, I was 37. So people were like, Oh, wow. Well, I made a mistake. And you know, he's not going to be that good. And, but we were so good. I didn't have to be, I didn't have to be great. Although I had, First day of spring, first day, I didn't have, I didn't hit a home run all spring. Nobody really brought that up. Nobody really kind of cared, but whatever. So, And then we go to Minnesota to start the season, and I hit a three-run homer uh, in the first game off a of lefty, which was Sparky he was always talking about. Oh, well, you know what, I'm going to you know, maybe platoon him, keep him so fresh. It's like play 160 games a year. You know, don't pull that bullshit anyway, but he did anyway. But anyway, so I had a 3 run homer to clinch the game opening day. And then we come home four, and then Jack Morris, a no-hitter. So we're 4-0, 5-0 coming home, getting some notoriety. People are going, okay, who? Yeah, these guys are good. Okay, they got off a good start. And then we come home, we play the Rangers, and Dave Stewart's the starting pitcher, and the first swing I have at Tiger Stadium, which I'd never been in before, never been in at all, and the fans, said, you know, we played start good on the road, and the first time up, I, hit, I was hitting third. Lou and Tram were on and I had a three run home on my first time in Tiger Stadium. So, um, you can't write a <laughs> you can't write that script, man. It's like and so I felt more comfortable and, and you know, it wasn't like putting so much pressure on yourself, okay, you gotta do this, you they expected that. So I didn't have to do that. It was like, you know, getting the right hits at the right time, playing the game the right way. And at the time I was kind of a a mentor for a lot of guys because I was older. And so that was fun, too, you know, because they, they, you know, we had a lot of great discussions and talking about how we did things. And, of course, they go, well, I'm Hank and all those kind of things. So uh, and I got to play in, in Detroit for five years. And, you know, we I think I played at the time that was the best division of baseball by far. There's six teams that were probably six out of the eight best teams in baseball were all in that division and so many hall of fame guys and all that kind of stuff we had to beat and you had to win a hundred games because it wasn't you know there wasn't a wild card you had to win hundred games just to win your own division and at the time we were playing our own division more often so it was a there wasn't any let-ups there wasn't any backing up it was luck uh, and you know it seemed like Lou and Tram First inning, man, they beat the other teams a lot. I mean, you know, so it was, and then we had to, you know, we had a great pitcher for Morrison. Petrie was another number, ace that we had who uh, later hurt his arm a little bit. So that we had a 1-2 for those two guys right at the get-go. And, Great, and great bullpen, but uh, and we had, but we played great defense, and we had you know, one or two best players at each position, kind of in in all of baseball. So I guess it was inevitable, but you can't ever go thirty-five and five. How does that work? And you know, four, uh, five of the, those five games that we lost, four of them we had a tying run or winning run at home plate in the ninth. So that's how. I mean, we never got blown out. We never, you know, we never played a bad game, which was like just amazing, even to think about it now. So uh, it was, it was, it was a joyride the whole time. I mean, Toronto got within six or seven. That was they had the second best record in baseball, and they were kind of on our. You know, I was, uh, trailing us close to us and all that time, and then we beat them four games in a row in the middle of the season. So that kind of didn't let it didn't let us coast because none of us had been there before. So it was like wasn't like okay, okay, we just play okay. No, we were they were on a mission because they had lost another thing too. They had lost to Baltimore the year before, and they were they were pissed. They thought they had the best team. In Baltimore, beat them and won the World Series in 83. And so uh, they were on a mission, and that was a fun place to go. Where, you know, um, and the fans, the tradition of playing in a place like Detroit, and I get to play in all those old parks. I get to play in Fenway and Yankee Stadium and Comiskey, and all those things that I, if I wouldn't have gone to the American League, I would have never got a chance to play. And so in all those traditional places. So it was a wonderful year. And, uh, uh except I lost my dad in the middle of the year, but, um, you know, for my family, uh, like I said at the end, and then we won, went to world series and re- I don't know if you probably don't remember, but the Cubs, were favored in the National League, so the two old teams that hadn't won forever were going to play this classic World Series, right? But then, the Padres came back and beat them. And for me, thank God, because I got I went to to San Diego where seventy thousand people. So I got I ended up getting ninety three tickets for my friends and family and everybody else to go to a World Series that I played in. I mean, it wasn't couldn't have been better than that to top that whole season off.
1: Yeah. Great. That was a great team. I remember that. I remember that year, uh, you starting off 35 and five and the, well, you know, if we would have won and we,
2: we, we, we lost by one game, I think in 85, uh, to Toronto. And that division was so good because well, the Yankees won in, in 81, the Brewers won the chance. in 82, Loss In 83, Baltimore won. We won in 84. Toronto won in 85. Boston won in 86. And then we came back and won, and we won again in 87. So I think, you know, if we'd have won in 87, which the, with the Twins beat us, and they're a great young team, but uh, and they had Viola and Blylevin. Uh, so in a short series, but, um, you know, they beat us legitimately. We had a much, we had the best record in baseball of course. And if we had won in 87, I think we would have been more thought of more of our, you know, that we were not a dynasty, but close to it. And, uh, how, how, how talented that teams were. Uh, so man, and I got to pick that cause I was a free agent. I could have gone to the Yankees or to the Dodgers my hometown team, but I ended up going to the Tigers simply because they gave me a three-year deal instead of just two years. And George wanted me bad for that short porch in Yankee stadium. But, uh, you know, I told him, I don't want to be a D.H. So, and he had Mattingly and Pagliarulio. So, uh, he tried to get me, tried to get me. Um, but I'm glad he did. not now, looking back and going, man, I would have come in second. <laughs> Again, yeah, to yeah, the Tigers, yeah, no matter year. what.
1: <laughs> you had some great years in Detroit. You're the home run champ in, in 85. You hit 40, you hit 29, 34, and 22, uh, the consecutive years. 89, last year of career, uh, you head back to Atlanta uh, for that final year. was kind of at that point, was the writing on the wall like, this is it, I'm done after this year?
2: No, not really, because well, what had happened was, you know, I was really disappointed that the, the the Tigers didn't try to sign me again. And, you know, okay, so I was making some money, but not near what the guy's making now, or, or even at the time I was way underpaid. Uh, because that was collusion and they kept releasing me and re-signing me and on anyway, whatever. But I wasn't there for that. It, it was like, you know, this team still win, but they just wanted, they, it, it was a shame because it seemed like they wanted to bring in new guys when they had this tremendous nucleus instead of bringing little pieces and they wanted to change things. And I was like, okay, so yeah. And so, you know, 88, I had 22 and driving 70, whatever. And led the team and home runs at second and RBIs. And they couldn't wait to get rid of me. I mean, they pretty much told me, hey, you know, this is it. And I got along good with the GM Bill LaJoy. He goes, hey, um, I'm sorry, man. We, they they, they want to go a different direction. You know, we want to those things. Well, you know, I was a captain, of the team. I was the veteran guy and all that. So, so the players wanted me, and everybody, and the, and all that kind of stuff. No matter what. But you know, I look back and I was, so when I was I was 41, forty one, forty forty two, just turning forty two. Well, if I would hit twenty two home runs and drove in seventy when I was twenty two, like kind of what I did, man, I was going to be an up and coming star. But when you get forty three or forty two, they look at you a little different. You know, they don't appreciate all the other stuff you bring with them, too. And I could still play. And I, I mean, you know, I never understood. just like, why, why do we leave in the off season in October? And all of a sudden, uh, you know, we go back to spring training in, in February, March, and we lost it. You know, all of a sudden we lost it. And it was like, well, yeah, because well, you're old. And you know, anyway, so I had to, I had to fight all that stuff. But the great, one of the great things I look back on is that Bobby Cox called me. And like I said, that was collusion. So nobody was going to take me anyway. But, and, and so Bobby Cox called me and says, Hey, listen, Dee and he had just taken over, he was the manager of the of Toronto, but then he'd taken over GM of the Braves. And he goes, Hey D I want to bring you and Murph back. Dale Murphy, because he goes, we got these great young players, and now we know what they're all about, all those guys in the 90s, Glavin and Smoltz and, and you know, Blouser and Lemke and Scant and Justice, and, you know, they were, had all these young guys, and he, he, he told me, he goes, hey, I want you and Murph to come back, you guys to play, but and, but I want you to, you know, to be the, to help these guys. So I went, thanks, Bobby, you know, so I went back there, you know, I got 400 of baths. Um, which I wasn't kind of anyway, whatever. I did okay. And then but then after that season I thought, Okay, next year I'm not gonna expect to play. Okay, this will be a this will be a fun role because I got along with everybody, everybody was excited about that. Be a fun role, play another year at least, or whatever, and uh, see how far that goes and then getting the coaching and all that kind of stuff. Well, I you know, that they, they I so now I'm in spring training in eighty, in ninety, or yeah, ninety, and um, then they had the union thing, and they and they and the like a, a week before the season starts, they made an agreement with the owners that they'd only have twenty four on the big league roster instead of twenty five. Well, I was the twenty fifth guy. That was the excuse because the Braves weren't you know they had a bunch of young guys who weren't going to get ready of of this. So that's. So I didn't get to retire. I didn't get to even think about it. Cause it was like all of a sudden going to the ballpark and getting called in never been really or whatever. And my buddy, Bobby, Bobby was great and we're all crying and everything. And I'm like, Hey man, I'm sorry. This wasn't the way it's supposed to be. But, um, so, uh, yeah, I was disappointed. And of course I couldn't catch on with anybody else. Nobody had any room, uh so you know it was over, and um that was uh so I tell people, you know, I never retired, man, They just didn't give me a uniform anymore and um I, that, that it was you know more than disappointing because I did want to play, I did want to play another year, and actually what I wanted to do too was if I would have had a choice and going, okay, so I would have loved to gone over to. Japan for one year to see how that was and this and maybe to play over there and you know they made some money obviously but at the same time still kind of see that environment and everything else because because I had gotten to play against Sadahara oh they had come over early 70 72 73 for spring training and I have a picture of the, of Oh, and Hank and myself. Or, well, there's a lot of home runs there, but you know, so I had been kind of in that environment, so I wanted to kind of, if I, if I had to, if I couldn't play in the big leagues anymore, to to go over to Japan and and still get to enjoy the game a little bit longer, because yeah, you know, forty five years, oh, forty four, you're not old. I guess you know people think you are you know so but yeah, but you're not yeah, there's something you've done your whole life, and it all becomes relative, you know and, and so so that that was uh, that that hurt for a while, disappointing, but i it was out of my control. It wasn't something that I did or didn't do so it was it's okay now well I love but I was glad to go back to the Braves where I originally started to that was fun.
1: Well, I look back at your career, and uh, I kind of I, I agree with the, I agree with the Bill James. I mean, you had 414 homers, uh, 2,223 hits, and you almost had 1,400 ribbies. Uh, so I kind of I kind of agree with James. I mean, that's a pretty a pretty awesome career. You went on. You were a hitting coach with the Yankees. You've done a lot of managing in the minor leagues, independent ball. What a guy, not named Hank Aaron best three guys you played with or against not named Hank
2: Aaron. Oh, oh man. Against. Well, the ones no, no, I played no, no, with, no, let's just start no, no. with the plans I played with because with, first okay. of all, okay. So, yeah, I get, I, I see. Okay, okay. Go ahead.
1: No, no. I said you just, so the, three they, they could be guys you played
2: with or against. Okay. So one of my first guys was Dick Allen. Richie Allen. I hear a lot. And of who should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. And especially because you and I know, and not many of us, we sit there, we know what my teammates think of the guys on the other, right? We we know. know. We know who, who the other guys are, you know, and we see that. And, and you know, it's just, uh, you know, we see the, the respect. We see all those kind of things. Uh, and then yeah, you know, we got to hear from the media and the f- and fans and all that kind of, okay, so you got your opinion, but you have no idea. So to me, Dick Allen was one of the guys uh, because he was just this overpowering, could do everything, could fly out a cannon, a former third baseman, which I love too, uh, because he's a tough guy and everything else. Um, I guess um, facing Bob Gibson was because of, I mean, the years he, I mean, you know, the, on the one point, whatever, for a whole year, and getting to face him, uh, and, you know, he's got the, and I got to be around him quite a bit later on and and listen to stories and what he thought and who he thought about and who was the best. Um, and probably my, I don't know, my favorite two teammates are Jack Clark and Alan Trammell uh, probably if you looked at him, you wouldn't know they were the, you know, they were super, super talented, Obviously, but they weren't, you know, so much Jack, maybe. So, you know, Jack hit the ball as hard as anybody he had a cannon. He could fly. He was a five tool guy. He was, he was, I mean, he was on a mission, you know, his whole thing was, Hey, wait, to see, you see know, that last one, wait to see the next one I hit. I'm going to hit it harder. Uh, and and Tram was so uh, nonviolent kind of player, I guess. He was just smooth. He just did everything, and then you realize and go, okay, well, you know, I played third a little bit over there, played first mostly, a the third too, and then you realize and go, yeah, he's moved over. Oh, that ball, oh, it didn't go in the hole because he had already moved over. You know, he was so smart in the game. He was so so aware of what was going on, and, and it was fun to be around him because challenge each other and stuff and, and kid each other and go, you know, why weren't you doing this? Why weren't you doing that? So those guys, you know, there's so many, as you know, uh, in in different parts of your career where it's more important, like when you're young, you know, you look up to those older guys, not just they're setting records, but because they got more experience. They know what's going on and here. When you're trying to please them, you want to be good with them. And then as you get older and as you get a, as, a, as a veteran kind of guy, then you're, you you got to answer the questions. And that makes you better, too. So that's good. So, so being prepared was a big thing about that. Uh, and, and so that's why every day going to work, um, yeah, we, it was, it was, hard. it was a job, but it was the greatest job I could ever imagine because there was always a challenge. There was always something, whether you were doing good or not so good, or the team was doing good, or not so good. And then you were going to break out of this slump and it was Nolan Ryan or John Candelaria, Steve Carlton, or you know, and going. Oh, I don't know. Can I do this? And then you know, it happens once in a while. And you, and yeah, you, know, you get to be. You know, you get to be proud of yourself. You get to be. You know, feel so good about what you've done and how you've done it. But you know, the the great thing is you find out you can't. You can't be the best. You can be the best for one pitch, or one play, or one base running or even one game, but you can't ever be the best all the time, which I think is great for all of us to go on. I yeah, honestly, to me, it was like, man, Mike Schmidt, when we were playing the Phillies. My job was to be as good as Mike that day, or maybe better or try to be better. Cause that's, you know, that was the challenge. And I was like, so, man, they, you know, as you know, they push you and they push you and they, and, and, and they don't come down to your level. They expect you to go up to theirs. And man, being around so many, I mean, just, you know, being able to sit and talk, Andy Messersmith was, was another guy that I, I I love talking. I love talking, hitting to the pitchers. Because they're going to tell you what they're going to do, unlike the catchers, too. And it's like, okay, so tell me what are you going to do? Like, what, what would you do here? What would you do there? And you realize that uh, not all of them know what the hell they're doing, and most of them can't throw where they want to. Most of them admit that. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's doubt in their mind, and it's, and, it's, and it's a part of learning to go, okay, man you don't make one mistake because I it's my fault. If you make a mistake and I don't get you, it's my fault. And, uh, you keep trying to get better and better at that. I try to be the best base runner I could be because I wasn't the fastest guy, but I got 98 stolen bases and you know, I could have stolen more. They didn't let, I mean, they don't let me run the heck. They never threw over when I was hitting in front of McCovey cause that hole was over there. And that was a scary thing to be over there with or leaning off a first 90 feet away with no glove on with McCovey hidden. <laughs> you know the feeling. <laughs> I know. I remember one time I go down there in Pittsburgh and it's cold and it's that old turf and sucked and everything. It's been raining, and it's you know, skidding ball. And man, I walk, I go down there, those plant pops great. You know, he he was another scary guy go down there and he goes hey D how you doing man he goes what are we gonna do and I go what do you mean he goes listen I'm gonna hide behind you so if you want to borrow my glove because McCovey's coming up here and he's not I'm gonna I'm gonna be hiding behind you so you know stuff like that. so you so you know what the respect is and the greatest I mean after I finished playing I got to go to all the old timers, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to be included in that group. So maybe that underrated thing wasn't really, you know, maybe that wasn't really there to the players. And that's, that's all we care about anyway. So, uh, I uh, no, you know I would, I agree. I got to be good. Players. Yeah. I got to be pretty good. Yeah.
1: Well, Daryl Evans, great career, great guy, a uh, lot of great stories. I appreciate you coming on the Boone Podcast. And what we do each and every Boone Podcast at the end of the podcast is we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that voice is Dan Levy.
0: That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Moon Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five-star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the Boone podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the Boone 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is base on air all of my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one